Welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eggett, the editor of the magazine, and today I'm joined by Charlie Pettit, the online editor of the magazine. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, some people might not know who you are, so I suppose you could start by introducing yourself. I could. So, as you say, I'm Charlie Pettit. I'm the online editor. Um, I'm relatively new, COVID-dependent, how we discuss that. So, <laughs> what all that means is you may not have seen my face, but I'm around. Um, I'll be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and newly on TikTok as well. So you're welcome to join us on all of those platforms. Yeah, so Charlie um, looks after uh, mostly the news on the website. Yeah, news for websites, hearing their reviews, um, keeping in contact with everybody, keeping you updated with what's going on. That's all sort of under my jurisdiction. That's where you'll be finding me. Yeah, and also uh, community outreach and stuff like that. So um, if you uh, get a reply you don't like from a social media channel of ours, it was probably, <laughs> it was probably mine. Um, so. <laughs> I have been blaming it on you. That's yeah. fine. Anytime there's kickoff, it, it was Chris, not me. Yeah, absolutely. Not me. That's quite right. And that's the way it should be. Uh, <laughs> So um, today we're just going to have a little chat about um, a bit of news and then we're going to talk about issue 45, uh, which yes. is the upcoming issue uh, or the issue that's just come out, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, yeah, so, happening. So would you, like to, would you like to start us off, Charlie, with a, with a bit of exciting news? I would. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll start it off by asking you a question. How much would you pay for a single Pokemon card? Um, I don't know. I mean... A pound. A pound. I mean, you. I mean, you're nearly at where the highest Pokemon card ever sold is at. Um, but you may have to come up just a smidge. Um, so in America, we have recently seen a Pokemon sold for ninety thousand dollars. That's many dollars. Which one was it? Well, okay, this is where we get the mouthful. So it is the Pokemon Super Secret Battle Number One Trainer Promo Hologram Card. Okay, I don't know which one that is. What do you mean? I yeah, thought I everyone knew. <laughs> no, so it's, it's a very elusive card, which is obviously why the, the cost of it is so high. Um, and there are only, in theory, seven of them that have ever been produced or that can be tracked. Um, and the only way you could get one was winning a regional tournament in Japan in something in the 90s, late 90s. Um, once you won that, you achieved this card. This card would then enter you into the battle um, of all of all seven of you um, in a secret location that was only determined once you had the card. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So quite cool. Very elusive as well. So obviously this is why it's so popular. Um, it's obviously in Japanese, so you can't necessarily read what's on the front, but it basically invites you to the tournament in Tokyo. Um, but would you pay that much for a Pokemon card? What's no, the most not really. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, I barely sleeve any of my cards, so um, oh, so I'm a bit of a he- heathen anyway. There, maybe yeah. more. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, <laughs> yes, um, yeah. We obviously we talked to uh, Wassy a few uh, a few weeks ago about um, sort of Pokemon cards and all that sort of thing. And as soon as this came out, I thought of Wassy, and because the person that bought it was not named, I did wonder if it was Wassy. Yeah, it could have been. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird that um, these things go for this much money. But I suppose it's just a. This is the collector side of trading cards that uh, I I don't quite understand just yet. Um, I think it, you think you start with sort of an emotional value, don't you? Or you, you get up and then you get excited, then you get emotionally invested, and then suddenly spending this sort of money is reasonable. Presumably, this person has that kind of money to spare because I think yeah. if I spent ninety thousand on something, there'd be household arguments as to why. Um, 
but it is I mean I I went down a whole sort of rabbit hole of researching then there's different versions of mint Mm. so it's not just the case that you can have a decent card a mint card and a ultra mint card there's a this is a PSA gem mint 10 grade yeah, they, they sort of seal it in a plastic box so um that's that's beyond just sleeving the card that's just like fully encased for forever never to come out again yeah and i think these people must have known the value of it when they got them because a you can't imagine keeping a card for that long and it being in that good a condition without fading or something like that um but also there is another copy that is the same actually there's more there's so six of the seven that they're aware of are all this same uh, quality the same grading um so i think people must have received them and gone this is brilliant i will keep this for 10 years and make a fortune on it later yeah i guess, I guess you know that if you know there's only gonna be seven of you in the uh, tournament yes yeah might as well i mean it's not the same as my desperate search for a shiny charizard which no it's not no never no, came to yeah, fruition no, but so I, think but I, ch- still I assume the charizard is more fun but uh yeah i digress uh, <laughs> it's a cool one that was when it came out, I remember being very excited by that. That and yeah. a Pikachu. What yeah. more could you need? Yeah, that's about about the level I'm at. Uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, and I think we've got some prize news as well. Big prizes. All of the prizes, uh, because Spiel has been announced. Um, so we have possibly the biggest game awards for the... Absolutely for the best uh, best and biggest, uh, or at least the most important um, award in gaming, definitely. The Spiel mm. is what I'm going to go with. So with that, we have the winner, which was Pictures. Uh, which beat um, My City and uh, Luna... Luna Nova. Luna Nova, that's it. Um, and so we did we did a feature on My City um, a couple of months ago. And it looked I, I honestly thought that was going to be the winner because it's sort of the way legacy games have kind of turned up everywhere these days. And it's kind of... Uh, it, we're at a point now where, you know, we're far enough away from Pandemic Legacy and... Um, you know, Gloomhaven's obviously been around for long enough that it's seeped into like mainstream gaming culture, and this could have been a, yeah. a really good example of that. You know, coming forward, and it'd be a nice sort of nod from the jury um, uh, towards towards that, because because uh, the game itself is very simple. My city is, you know, it's a lay some tiles, score some points based on the tiles you lay, um, uh, and you're told what order to lay them on a by a deck of cards. You know, um, so I'm quite surprised that um, that pictures won. Um, I'm uh, pictures is by uh, Christian um, Stoer and Danielle Stoer. Yes, and I think I agree with you that everyone. You, when I spoke to people about the spiel or mm. we ran polls, mm-hmm. the expectation was generally that my city was probably most likely to yeah, win. Yeah, uh, I didn't touch on pictures. I saw almost nothing on pictures. I thought I think did our our poll came out that um, Luna Nova was going to win. I think. I think Luna Nova was on Twitter, and I believe it was. Um, my city on facebook yeah okay. but there were a lot of comments that people hadn't been able to play those games yet and mm, they english and things like that so they were sort of taken with a pinch of salt but pictures sort of came from behind a little bit but then i think looking at looking at them i wonder if that's possibly the most family friendly one in a very typical way yeah yeah so um i suppose i should really we should sort of describe what pictures is for people who haven't who haven't actually played it or seen it yes. anywhere. Uh, so it's a uh, it's a party game um, where you uh, you have a grid of cards with pictures on. Um, they all look a bit um, stock imagey in a way, uh, in a 
not not to be not being rude just that it's just kind of <laughs> so they, that's they, deliberate they, not an insult <laughs> no, exactly it's, it's deliberate and it's you know you, you might expect um you know i think we're kind of used to the kind of uh pseudo realist uh painting style of like euro games and stuff like that or the sort of um D magic the gathering style um fantasy um fantasy as like yeah, as are just the way we see our games so to get something which is just like hey it's a picture of a real place it's just a photo it's like it's an actual photo you know um it's kind of weird they, they get so they get laid out on a grid and then each, each of us around the table will take a um, token from a bag and it'll tell us which element on the grid we'll be picking up uh, not be picking up we'll be we'll be trying to represent um so you know it's like c1 or something like that you'll know that you know uh, that that's the that's the picture you're going to try and represent and the way you represent it depends on your position on the table um but these items rotate around uh, and so there's things like nine colored blocks which are you know your usual resource tokens uh in most euro games you arrange them in a way that makes it look kind of um kind of similar to the the picture you're trying to represent so it's really really abstract um, another thing you might be doing is you might be using uh, four twigs and three stones to represent the picture you're trying to represent. Um, equally, there's some like uh, wooden blocks. There's like a shoelace uh, and, and things like that. So you're 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 sort of taking like a real picture and then making like an absolute abstraction of it. Uh, that's like the uh, the general thing about it. And I suppose it's kind of like a um, really like hampered version of Pictionary. Or something like that. Yeah, I the when I read through sort of the description of it, because it's not been one I've been able to play. Um, it struck me as code names because of those stock images from what I was reading that mm. there are multiple ones that are just similar enough that might catch you out when you're trying to pick which yeah, one. There's definitely the danger of that. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's not competitive in that way. Um, as code names, but it, yeah, it's, it's got that sort of that chance that you're going to misinterpret how other people present things. Um, and you, but you want people to guess what you're creating, rather yes. than only your side guessing, for example. So, uh, and because there's no team element to it. Um, but yes, yeah. So it's it's this sort of like, yeah, uh, like an honest attempt to in, you know interpret. You know, it's a it's a waterfall or something, but you've only got a shoelace to represent a waterfall. How do you tell people <laughs> that you're going to do that? You know. So, uh, it's great. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it looks quite tricky. It looks like, looks, looks quite fun. Uh, again, I've not, I've not had a chance to play it yet either, but, um, uh, but yes, uh, we will hear all about that in, uh, not the upcoming issue, but the following issue. Um, in yes. the, all the yards, um, uh, column that, uh, the wonderful James Wallace does. This one has been a really big one for him, hasn't it? Because it's now time that we start looking back through all of the ones that James Wallace has done for his column. Yeah, so um, yeah, James has been uh, writing about um, the uh, Spooliaras for five years, something like that. Um, and uh, now we're at a point where um, uh, he's kind of caught up uh, with the 30-something titles. 36 titles something like that that have been that have won, yeah, won the award um and uh yeah so we did a special in the upcoming issue about uh he, he sort of gave an overview of um all of the uh all, all, really an overview of what the prize has become you know because you you look at some of the early um defining winners and they kind of represent uh different times in like hobby gaming um you know, like different turns in in the industry, 
uh, and then sort of later on you sort of you, you find that you know um, games become lighter and lighter um, that the, the win the win the competition um, so we've got a whole timeline of every single um, uh, Spudiara's winner uh, with with James's verdict uh, whether it's still worth playing today uh, you know whether you should go seek it out I like as well that they include the odd witty comment that we had from James just a little bit light but he's very on the mark <laughs> Yeah, it's um, James is a very friendly writer, and um, this next, this this following column will be uh, his his last for the magazine. So, um, which is very sad because he's off to Green Games. One of those things we can't be sad for him because he's doing something epic, but we can be sad that we're not going to have him anymore. Yeah, it's, it's very it's very sad for us because uh, one one of the, the main pleasures in my uh, yeah in my job is uh, to read the jokes um, before everyone else does. Uh, so, <laughs> editor uh, Pat. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, it's almost like the most useful all the R's we've had because it is it is all of them. It works except for the one that's about to be crowned. Um or <laughs> has just been crowned, uh, which will be the following following uh column. Um uh but it's one of those ones you can just look through and you can just you just know if you've missed them from your collection. If you're sitting there looking at your collection feeling like I miss I miss a certain kind of game. I feel like I've got gaps in this collection. I feel I want to like improve my uh, the kind of like heavy literature of my um, my board game collection, which is not true. A lot of games are very light, and obviously it's a family prize, so uh, they're they're all very accessible. Um, but it's, it's great to look through and say, yeah, great. I'm glad I missed that one. Or indeed, um, I need to go. I need to go pick up this um, possibly forgotten gem of the of the prize. Yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting. I I found a lot of it interesting to see the ones that I had and then the ones that preceded it and went after it mm. in terms of James talks quite a lot about how the award changes. So each year what they're looking for changes a little bit, what they're reacting to changes a little bit. And that was interesting seeing, oh, I liked this one. Mm. Did that mean that this one won? Yeah, exactly. I didn't that, that meant that this one did. So it's a really interesting read. It's quite a comfortable read as well. It's a, yeah. it's a nice one to to flick through one of the things i like the most about this issue uh is the cover it is a great cover so which is uh D mythic odysseys of theros uh feature which is uh we, we we talked to the designers of the game about the new source book which is a kind of like i keep saying crossover um but it's kind of a reinterpretation of magic the gathering or a world of magic the gathering which is theros itself which is a um, Greek mythology-themed, uh, like, setting for your D&D campaigns. And there's all sorts of weird, fun stuff you can do in it. Uh, like, as all Greek myth, you know, kind of works, uh, the underworld is, like, a real place that you can go to and hang out in. Um, yep. You might not want to, particularly. But the option is there. But the option is there, yeah. And there's sort of like nice uh, sort of interactions with the gods, um, gives the GM lots of scope as well for like using the gods as tools in the game. Uh, because even you know, even if you don't want to follow a god or be, be the chosen champion of a god, the god can still decide that you are, you know, you don't, you don't have like the power in that relationship um and because they're sort of petty individuals you know the gods in themselves um uh it gives like lots of scope for very silly things also there's a whole fabulous table of um omens and things in the in the book so you can have uh i think there's one i mentioned in the article which is something like um so heliod 
is like the you know the, the Helios style um, god of the sun kind of thing. Uh, and so one of the omens you can have for that is just like a, the sun blinks, which I think is a really interesting. <laughs> like it's like an interesting, um, just like bit of language to kind of leave out for your players. You know, so yeah. you you should be able to get a message from um, these sort of really uh, ominous omens. Um, being laid out by the GM so the, the tools the tools in it are really interesting and it's a big kind of a big silly source book in a lot of ways I love this I love when they pick up on you described it as the pettiness of the gods mm. it's exactly that I love that because that's all everybody knows Greek myths and things but we never really drill down on how ridiculous some of their decision making is but to then throw that into a game where you need to react to some of that ridiculous decision making just sounds like a world of fun yeah yeah it, it, it seems like a really good really good setting and um uh it's, it's also like really nice and flexible um uh so uh, Wes, Wes Schneider um one of the designers he, he commented that it might be the best setting to do a version of Star Trek Ooh, because that's... because it's kind of a really good setting for like get on a boat go island to island because uh, it's, it's you know based on homer's odyssey in some ways it's like that's the general thing you've got kind of a, a vague greek peninsula and islands and so you can go island to island crashing here and there getting knocked off the your boat by some gods or something like that or you land somewhere and it turns out that the island the whole city that's built on this island is actually on the back of a kraken you know that sort of thing normal stuff but it lets you do monster of the week uh, which is yeah which is you know so that's just like every you know that's um he, he said Star Trek, but he could have said Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? So, you know, it's just like throwing that. Out... <laughs> <laughs> it does already exist, but yes. I've not tracked down a copy. Uh, so it seems, it, seems like a, it seems like a really interesting setting for that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's our cover for this, this coming issue. I'll be interested to see what comes back from that in that case. With that much sort of freedom available in it, what are people going to do? What mashups are we going to see that use their stylings? I think that'll be that'll be interesting in itself, let alone how cool the game sounds. Yeah, it's um, it's funny actually because we've we've also got a um, a review of Soulbound, which is the uh, like um, new Warhammer RPG. Yeah, uh, which is a similarly god bashing fighting <laughs> type thing um, where you god bashing god bashing. Yeah, well, um, when petty and you just want to get one up on them. Well, yeah, although. Um, they're less petty there. They're just more. You, you in Soulbound, you play these like incredibly powerful people right from the start. So you're like a, you start off as like the equivalent of like a level six D and D character. So you start off like well, well on your way to, um, uh, you know, you, you start off throwing fireballs and things like that and flying and everything, right? And my, you know, my understanding of it, the play of this game is that you end up, um, kind of bumping into, uh. It, you'd think that'd make things boring, just being powerful straight away. But the idea is that you know you, uh, you're going to also uh, you're going to run into like um, things that are beyond the scope of your powers, or the GM can just go absolutely wild and throw thousands of things at you, uh, <laughs> or whatever they want at you. It doesn't matter; they can be as brutal as they like because actually, actually, the whole thing is um, you're very you know you're very powered up. For the whole thing so uh yeah we've got two two really good uh uh godly uh rpgs in, in this issue nice
The Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast is supported by Conquest, the last argument of kings. Conquest breathes new life into rank-and-file miniature war games with its own gritty fantasy world and fast-paced game system. Check out their quality plastic regiment and resin character ranges at www.para-bellum.com and use Conquest11 as a promo code to get 15% off. I can talk a favourite. Go on then. I am ever the fan of a cardboard manifesto, which is basically us asking people to tell us stuff that annoys them. And there's something a little bit heat magazine about it, and I can't help but be drawn to it every week. Every month, I should say. I didn't know that's <laughs> the vibe we were going for. But, <laughs> but in the same sort of way, I'm like, Ooh, what, what What? don't we like this week? Um, <laughs> not necessarily what don't we like. It's more, what can you change? Just, or- just for the, the people who haven't read the magazine recently uh it's a it's a column which allows people to um it's basically an opinion column that allows people to actually exert their their fullest feelings about it could be anything it could be anything from like we should have more diverse board games um to like we should stop using dice in rpgs which is slightly controversial um or if you're like me um it's like the smallest hill on which you will die uh which is uh for my my one was like um we need better box inserts I mean, yes, we do. Yeah, uh, it's always very pleasing when you see a, a good a good box insert. Um, but yes, so um, what what do we have this month? So this month we have Alex Sonichkina talking about simple games and whether simple games means bad games, which is what we're coming to the terms of saying. So quite often, we're like, oh, it's it's a simple game, it's it's a small game, and we assume that means that therefore it's not a good game, and that's never the case. So I quite like that those smaller games are fantastic. So she gives she gives a ton of examples, say things like um, King Domino. Um, I think she mentioned code names as well. Mm-hmm. Um, those sort of games that, yes, they're simple, but why is simple bad? Why can't we still just enjoy those games? Um, which I think all all very valid points. She says it a lot more succinctly than I have done there, which is why it's worth reading. Um, but I would recommend, and I would fully agree i think i looked at my copy of code names earlier today and thought i should play that more because we always have fun when we do but it's been pushed to the back because there's that many big box games in front of it yeah it's, it's very easy to get drawn in by like large amounts of plastic um yeah. or like shiny things a really more complicated dice. engine the more dice that are in a box the happier i am i know well that is true actually i'm, I'm the same um most of the time <laughs> so you know like um we're often looking for like this huge immersion you know in a world and like you like world building and all this sort of stuff but actually you know smaller games um or elegant games small small games that have sort of simple rules or very easy to follow rules or very easy to pick up rules um often have a great deal of depth in them because you can very quickly get to a higher level of mastery um and so which is kind of like the um which you get to get that with a lot of like abstract games you know uh a lot of abstract games um, rely on the idea that you're going to play them 400 times. You know, and yeah. by the 400th game, you're um, you know and yeah, you're absolutely buzzing about the idea of um, <laughs> of uh, doing a slightly different set of moves to the ones you did last time. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good piece. It's a really good piece. So it's, um, more recently, I have I have come to sort of a a sense that I I am looking for a feeling like I had when I first played something like um, Carcassonne or something like that, which is, yeah. that's like, I can't remember who said it to me, it might be Ellie Dix. Uh, she said, uh, I don't think anyone's forgotten how to play Carcassonne after 
the first time they were taught it. Um, yeah. No one's forgotten how to do that, but um, nearly nearly everything else, um, uh, any big box game, you're going to have to go back to the rule book to, uh, to check. There's just something really nice about these games that we kind of like often just push them to the side. There's, there's so much new stuff out there and the cult of the new is so compelling. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard not to like get drawn in by all that when when instead you, you could sit down and just play uh some some like nice simple old-fashioned gateway games yeah. yeah i do think sometimes sometimes with the newer games that i've been playing recently i found that it's almost a fight to get to the enjoyment i have to get past that huge bump of rules that i need to try and understand and every step needs to be perfectly calculated and then also i need to move 10 other characters at the same time and they need to do something in response to me doing something else all of which I have to learn and try and remember. And you have sort of like a 10 minute headache before it all clears and it all makes sense mm. and everything's easy. Whereas you can just pull out double, for example, <laughs> and just yes. play double. There's like, you, like you say, you, you don't forget. I think one of our, one of our cardboard manifestos previously, forgive me because I can't remember who said it, was talking about how Monopoly was actually one of the best or most successful games for us. Because I think that was, I think that was James Wallace again. I think it was a Wallace one. Yeah. Um, and he's right, is that we all know how to play Monopoly, but we don't play it, which is fine because there are hundreds, thousands, millions of other games to play. But we can we, we need to give ourselves permission just to enjoy the games that we enjoy and to be allowed to revisit them just for the sake of enjoyment. And we may be slightly jaded for having having reviewed so many games you know we might be in a, a position where we've we've reviewed so many games that we're uh we, we have fatigue uh, i mean other people may be um or slightly more casual um players than those who listen to uh, this podcast might think we're being very silly in in ha- having to <laughs> in having to say this at all because they're like i they they still love playing Catan. uh although i do remember i, I spoke to um Ulrich blum the creator of the um or designer of the uh minecraft yes um and he in in the interview i don't think i ended up in the um in the article itself but he was saying he's saying something like um he remembers this is how all my interviews go they we have a normal conversation and then we get to some point where we say so what do you think of the state of euros at the moment and um your interviews are very different to mine yeah well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he and he, he said uh See, he was at a games night somewhere, and um, one of his friends said, "Like they've finished whatever big game they were playing, um, some big and brain burnery." And uh, they turned. They said, "Should we just have a just a quick game of Catan?" And he was thinking, <laughs> you know, ten years ago, people could not have said that, no, you know, because it would that would because Catan was um, more than enough, uh, yeah, for everyone. <laughs> Yeah. I like that it's almost like a palate cleanser. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we should consider these games. Are, even like intersperse our big box games with a little palate cleanser, oh, yeah. and then it's the next course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's going to make people, uh, for, you know, if, if you're if you're putting a game of Catan between every other game, I think you're you're going to start judging those other games quite a lot harsher because it's not because uh, Catan's still very good. Yeah, I think you, it's easy to forget how good they are until you go back and look at them. Another another little piece in the the magazine this month is uh, Massive Darkness Two, uh, which is uh, just about to go to Kickstarter. Should go, should be going to Kickstarter as the magazine hits your doormat. Um, so this is very uh, exciting news. It's it's um it's a pretty good it's a pretty good preview. Um, we get lots and lots of information out of it. I won't, I I'm not actually going to say loads about it because um, 
there's the Kickstarter's not live just yet. So um, if this goes out before the Kickstarter goes live, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. Um, but we, we should be we should be safe for the actual magazine. Um, uh, but uh, but yes, you you I think you were about to tell us about your favourite part of the interview. Yeah, there's a there's a really so the whole thing is is really interesting in how they took the original Massive Darkness that everyone was in love with and had to try and build something different out of it. Um, but they they the bit that I love about it is they talk so much about feedback. They talk about how they were they saw the comments that people made on Facebook posts. They saw the complaints that people had, um, and they built that then into how they fixed the next game, which I think is how game design is is veering especially when there's an additional one. Um, I've watched a similar sort of thing happen with the Resident Evil board games, where the developer is very interactive with comments on Facebook and discussions and trying to say, well, what is it you don't like? Or what is it that doesn't work? Um, and by the sound of things, the things that they've described, they're, they're on the money with Massive Darkness 2 in terms of, we didn't like this, but you know what? We, we checked what you didn't like and, and we fixed this bit and we fixed that bit. I suppose I can share a few examples of that. So they, they're adding campaign play in properly, um, which is a super exciting addition <laughs> to the game. Because the pre, previous uh, Massive Darkness community um, thought, the, thought the first game sort of lacked in terms of cohesive campaign play. Uh, you could just sort of chain missions together, but it didn't feel didn't feel right. Yep. And so they've they've added some new stuff there. And also they simplified the game uh, in lots of little ways that are kind of things you'd end up doing anyway when you're playing Massive Darkness. So um, just things that kind of like taking everyone's house rules and shoving them in the game um, just to tidy things up. So there's like, uh, there previously um, there would be like multiple roles for monsters um, and they've kind of put all the roles together in one big role, for example, for the monsters. So you don't have to do like more monster management than you require much better i think it's almost certainly better yes yeah um yeah there's a there's a question of um like should how much effort do you want to put in uh to uh looking after you, the things that are killing you <laughs> i know there's a certain amount of fatigue with doing that as well like, absolutely no? yeah so we, we we talked to um we talked to tristan hall uh about solo games and we, we sort of touched on the subject and he, he was sort of saying um yeah, you don't you don't really don't want to be in a position where uh you're fiddling about too much with um your opponent's deck or whatever else it might be. Um especially in like solo games or any kind of enemy AI. Uh you want it to just be super simple. Uh and this is this is the thing where um every like every game designer doing a solo mode or designing enemy AI uh should just let them cheat. I have to it's I think I always find that a difficult part with solo gaming is if there's something that's too complex. I can be prone to just cheat a little, just to, yes, yes. Just to smooth out the process. Now, there's a big question, actually. Are we allowed to cheat in solo games? Who judges us but ourselves? Exactly. Is that maybe that's, but maybe, you know, maybe we should judge ourselves more harshly. Or I can just call, claim it's in character as a rogue and just Absolutely. leave it at that. It was all intentional. That's true. That's true. <laughs> cool. Um, so I think we're going to maybe have a little, little chat about some of our favourite reviews as well. Yes, I have Starcadia Quest, but Showdown. And it's a little bit of a back and forward review because it's a if this, then that. So this is an expansion of um, for Starcadia, right? Yes. So if you're not familiar with them, there's you have your Arcadia Quest games, which were very popular. Um, and then from that, you then had Starcadia Quest, which was obviously the space, ex- space expansion um, from Call Mini or Not. So they come with pretty epic 
miniatures as well. Um, and there's been expansions that follow the same format as Arcadia Quest. So Arcadia Quest had pets, Starcadia Quest had robots. Then they bring out Starcadia Quest Showdown, which is the one that I played for this and which I've reviewed inside it. Now, I love it, but it is only any good if you've got Arcadia Quest. It is so clever because what it does is it says, right, fight these characters against each other. And fighting in Starcadia Quest is one of the more fun parts because you're constantly trying to shoot this evil robot and evil person and whoever else and even each other. And this is when you get to go head to head. It's sort of like Team Deathmatch. Right. Put you in an arena and see what happens. Um, But it gives you all of the cards that you need to translate Arcadia Quest into a Starcadia Quest format. Mm -hmm. So then you can play your Arcadia Quest miniatures against your Starcadia Quest miniatures. Glorious. I think this is an absolutely wonderful idea. Difficulty being, I do not have Arcadia Quest. Therefore, not the best expansion for me. <laughs> it's not listed as necessary. They, they say you need either Arcadia Quest or Starcadia Quest to be able to play it. And I had Starcadia Quest, hmm. but not also Arcadia Quest. So if I had it and I knew everybody else had it, it would be right up there. Yes, play it, buy it, go out. It's brilliant because it doesn't require you to have it otherwise it's just a little bit of an extra new map which you could make up yourself and sort of rules on timings i think from memory which again if you were gonna if you wanted to play those rules you'd just play them on the boards that you already have but very clever i think yeah i mean this is the question we always have about expansions when we review them which is like uh the real the real question isn't like is it good because usually people know whether they like the original game or not but it's like is it necessary yeah does it add anything yeah does it does it turn this game from a you know uh um you know just like an average game into something fabulous or does it just add some unnecessary bits that you kind of think oh well that was kind of interesting but uh i'm not sure i would have missed not playing it you know they're they're the, the questions we ask i think that's that's the frustration with this is that i can appreciate that it could have upscaled the two games. It could have made it an epic showdown, which is exactly the title. But on the basis of I didn't need those, so I didn't have those, it didn't, which is where it came down in, I think, my my rating of it, um, just for that reason. But I'd still, I will still sit here and say Starcadia Quest is a great game. Some of the expansions are wonderful. Am I going to go and buy Arcadia Quest and start again? Maybe not. I mean, you recently reviewed uh, another Starcadia request, um, quest expansion, didn't you? Build a robot. Build a robot. Yes. I, do, you, do you want to tell us about that? Because I think that was a, a, a full-throated yes, wasn't it? That was great fun. So it's a mimic of the Arcadia Quest expansion pets, from what mm. I'm told. Um, but it's just little robots, but they're customizable little robots that follow you around. Wonderful. So you end up with genuine plastic miniatures, little tiny, tiny miniatures that are swap. You swap this head onto that one to get that one. And as you're going along, you upgrade your robot. So you've got all this the normal fighting and the normal aggression. And then you're also worried about what your robot's going to do and whether he can help you out as well. Glorious. Honestly, I was surprised at how well it worked. Because when they told me I could mix and match, I was sceptical. I mean, I haven't actually seen the miniatures, so I don't, I'm not sure how they they work out but uh, so is it just swapping heads is it just like lego men yeah 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 kind of (laughs) they're just so tiny i think that's really baffles me is they're only like centimeter and a half tall wow 
Okay. They're, they're easily losable. And <laughs> I had pets away from the area to make sure if they dropped on the floor, I wasn't going to lose one. Mm. But very cool. I mean, the thing is, cool mini or not, you know you're going to get cool miniatures. Yeah, That's pretty much a given. Um, but still, it, it surprised me. And I liked, I liked that I had more missions. I had more stuff to do from it. So it didn't end the game for me. It continued it, yeah. which I thought was, was pretty good. So that was a, up there as a, give it a go. Give it yeah. a try. Yeah, almost necessary. So, I, I mean, I've already talked, so the review I'd like to talk about is um, the Planet, Planet Apocalypse review. And I've, I've spoken about this a couple of times already. So maybe people are very bored. And, miniature. And I painted a miniature of it from... Um, on, on Twitch. So you can find us there on uh, Tabletop Gaming Mag uh, if you want to tune into my occasional um, series of Chris Can't Paint uh, where you get to come along and tell me um, what colour of pink you want to paint this monster. This was the thing. You did one recently and when we talked about this sort of Chris Can't Paint as a Twitch logic because you tell me that you can't paint, um, I agreed when you struggled to put a frog thing what was it called? A frog it's a frog hemoth. Um, I've actually given it to a dear friend of mine who makes models. Well, when, when you couldn't put it together, <laughs> I understood why this line was happening because we didn't even get to the painting. The problem is you've ended this one and I was surprised that it was very good. Well, I thank you very much. Yes. Yes, it's quality so, the uh, brushes. So I have, I have asked Twitter for other options for your next one and we'll report back as to the style in which your next one is painted. Yes, I mean, I would I would quite like um, to have the chat on Twitch come to me with a reference image. And what I'd like <laughs> is that that reference image does not have to be... So, you know, for example, I, we're sitting here and I've got some, some of these Planet Apocalypse miniatures here. And this one, this one here is basically a dog uh, with like only half its skin, I'm going to say, like 50% skinned dog. It's because you can't see this. It is only a dog in the way that it has four legs and potentially a tail. I yeah. don't think there's any I mean, other similarity with a dog. Sorry, no, you're quite, you're quite right, yes. And it doesn't, it doesn't have a tail because it has like a mouth at the back as well. Oh, of course. So it's, a tongue, it's a tongue poking out, yeah. So I will actually <laughs> talk about Planet Apocalypse in a second and explain all of that. Um, uh but yes, so maybe I'll be painting the um, the hell dog thing. Um, but chat could maybe send me a picture of whatever they like. It could be like a um, a cream bun. It could be <laughs> a post box. It could be uh, oh. like an exotic frog. You know, um, exotic frog. Well, whatever. Um, <laughs> you know that dress that was gold or blue, depending on how you looked at it. Whatever, like any reference image, and then like we'll use that reference image on the thing we're painting. And we'll try and make it sort of. We'll try and make the the miniature cosplay the the reference <laughs> image more or yeah. less. So yeah, this is what I want to see. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll, we'll give that a go at some point. Hopefully, if 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 the next stream people want to come along with a reference image, that'll be quite funny. So, uh, but Planet Apocalypse itself is a Sandy Peterson game, which means uh, it's uh, so Sandy Peterson is um, uh, a, a legendary game designer. He also um, did uh, level design for Doom and Doom Two, uh, I believe. And so he's sort of got yeah a pedigree in um, creating That's CV, isn't it? Uh, yes, yeah, um, absolutely. He's yeah, so he's, he's fairly, fairly legendary. Um, you know, uh, somewhat involved in uh, Call of Cthulhu. Um, so lots of lots of uh, uh, stuff going on there. Um, and so he's made another Hell game, 
and most of, most of centerpieces and tabletop games are giant bits of plastic um which you move about on a board and you make them fight in some way and that's brilliant that's that's what it is and so this is a game about hell opening up and demons marching towards you in what amounts to a conveyor belt of demons like your sushi but you it's, don't yeah and in fact there is actually so this comes with these sort of like semicircular boards um so you can do it like there is a setup which <laughs> is expecting to be right about that <laughs> yeah, so you can actually do the yo sushi mode um <laughs> where where they're going they're kind of potentially going round and round and round but um that mode's kind of a like uh an enhanced mode um that's the only mode i've seen people play on um on streams as well because the board is too big to film normally um in the in the other setup, so that's the only one that where you can fit it on a normal camera. So that's it, that's the only one I've seen people playing that way. You have to play with like a a long shot camera or something. Like that. Anyway, so <laughs> it's broken up into like five or six areas. Um, movement is you just sort of move one or two spaces either direction with your heroes. You play t- at least two heroes, um, and uh, as these tokens that represent uh, demons invading. Uh, as as you reveal them by being in the same space as them, uh, you roll a load of dice, and then for Brilliant. for pairs on the dice, uh, you chuck down some big ugly monsters, and then uh, you probably try and kill them by throwing some more dice. Nice. Uh, and that's more or less it. I, I, there's loads more to it, but um, that you know, there's like a track where um, you know uh, the, you, it like ticks up, and every time you go round the track once, you take another track round that then moves the um, like the big boss monster a bit closer to you, which is even scarier because they bring all the invasion tokens with them and that sort of thing. You know, and there's like a market where you buy power ups for your character and that increases like the quality of your dice. So some characters start with just like a D four, where some of the bigger demons need two dice two two results of four or four plus to be to do that damage to them. You know, so uh you're like really hampered from the start. Um and yes, yeah, so it's about like leveling up and all that sort of thing. But I don't need to tell you anything about because what it is is it's a really fun and I'm going to say this in the best possible way. It's a stupid game, um, <laughs> in a sort of like in the way that like heavy metal is stupid, uh, by which I mean it's good, uh, and and as such, uh, yeah, I I highly recommend this. I think of of the Sandy Peterson games I've I'm you know, most aware. I'm probably most aware of um, Glorantha. Uh, that's one I've I've had a a little tinker with um uh obviously it's like cthulhu wars and all that sort of stuff um but this is not a bad place to start if you were thinking about getting a big box of monsters this is not a bad place to start it's a it was a kickstarter game at one point so you're obviously gonna sort of have some sort of fomo of not getting them at the kickstarter price if you buy them retail but um and there's like three huge expansions as well full of other monsters uh, so you can decide what kind of bosses you want to fight, what fourth level demons, and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's just incre- it's sort of incredibly good fun, great to solo uh, as well. Um, it's tactical in a really basic, nice way that doesn't tax you too much. Uh, and it's just all about throwing dice and feeling good about throwing dice. And it's really hard as well. It, it absolutely kicked my ass repeatedly. Um, so... Uh, so yeah, and the, the characters are all interesting, and yeah, so highly recommend that. Uh, and there's, there's a full review of that in the in the magazine as well. Nice, sounds great. I think that's uh, about it for us. Yeah, I think that's fair. I've yeah. talked a lot. <laughs> 
So uh, where can we find us? Where can we find you, actually, more than me? To begin, we have Twitter, which is at Tabletop Mag. Then we have TikTok, my new favourite, which is at Tabletop Mag. Keep things nice and simple. Just it does upgrade. Just before we move on to any other services, what kind of thing do you do on TikTok, Charlie? Oh, goodness. Very embarrassing things. <laughs> there you go. We won't tell anyone any more, any more than that. It's just uh, embarrassing <laughs> things. TikTok's great. TikTok's um, it's a bit of everything. So um, I tend to put up a mixture of unboxings with um, various music syncs. So if you're familiar with TikToks and the dances and um, the songs that you're used to hearing and the puns that you're used to seeing, um, they're all on there or will be on there at some point because my draft folder is just getting longer and longer. Um, but it is, it's a dreadful thing it's, it's all the social media that you shouldn't do in the sense that the more likes i get the more i'm like oh my goodness i could do another one um so i thoroughly encourage you to join me and duet or send me suggestions or give me a shout if you want anything unboxed it's going to be great i'm super excited about it and it's just uh, good fun the unboxings are particularly good because they're absolutely manic because you've got a minute to do it <laughs> and so it's yeah. just uh, you just the speed at which things uh, get unwrapped, uh, the description of them can sometimes just be um, single words, just sort of almost word association <laughs> with what you're seeing in front of you. Um, uh, and, um, and the problem is, I know exactly which word you mean because people keep coming up to me and laughing at me for saying that. So I invite everybody else to try and guess which one that is. <laughs> so where else? Where else can we find us? Us ourselves? We have Instagram, which is tabletop underscore gaming underscore magazine and then facebook which is tabletop gaming magazine well we're also on twitch which we mentioned we, are on twitch. we have mentioned twitch though so in my defense however it is tabletop gaming mag excellent excellent um well thank you very much no problem it's been great fun <laughs> <laughs>